Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, my name is Vanessa Lim. I'm a professor of philosophy at the University of New South Wales. and Right, and you listen to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio. <laughs> From now on, <laughs> yes. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today on the program, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Zuki Finn about the metaphysics of pregnancy. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm from the UK, if you can't already tell from my accent. And I actually started off my studies with a major in music at the University of Nottingham. So I have a background, I play many musical instruments and I really enjoyed the process of musical analysis, but it turned out that the type of analysis I was doing, much to the music department's despair, was actually pretty philosophical. And so that's what got me into philosophy. I was encouraged by the music department to do a master's in philosophy, so I did. Um, And then I did my PhD in philosophy at the University of York. As to what fields of philosophy I'm interested in, usually people expect me to stay within the area of the philosophy of music, given my musical background. Actually, what gets my philosophical brain ticking are the puzzles that you might find in more mainstream analytic philosophy, such as puzzles in metaphysics and the philosophy of logic. So what was it that inspired your interest in the metaphysics of pregnancy? Well... I found that the training that I got from studying metaphysics in the more general, abstract realm gave me the tools I needed to apply them to everyday cases, such as pregnancy. I've also applied... Well, I found that the training that I got from studying metaphysics in the general, abstract realm really gave me the tools that I needed to apply them to everyday cases, such as pregnancy. And I've also applied my metaphysical toolkit to other areas like love. Um, and holes. <laughs> but given that I consider myself a feminist and have become quite involved in working for the Society for Women in Philosophy during my PhD, that sort of persuasion sort of contributed to my growing interest in more feminist philosophies. So after my PhD, I saw an advertisement for a postdoctoral research fellowship at the University of Southampton on Elsaline King's project called Better Understanding the Metaphysics of Pregnancy, which is a project funded by the European Research Council. Always got to mention the funders. So I applied for that project, and to my delight, my application was accepted, and it's on that project where I currently work and really got to delve in to the topic of the metaphysics of pregnancy. And yeah, it feels really good to be able to do this sort of research with my feet on the ground, so to speak, 
and to be able to contribute to important important debates that not just philosophers are interested in, like my parents understand what I'm doing now, whereas when it was very abstract, they had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, it is more accessible for the general populace, isn't it? But, uh, so you've been re- researching the relationship between the fetus and the maternal organism. Could you tell us about this research? Yeah, sure. So the main question on the project is whether the fetus, at any stage of development, from conception to birth, should be considered as a part of the maternal organism, or whether another idea is whether the maternal organism is more like a container for that fetus, where the fetus resides inside the maternal organism without being a part of them. So these two options, uh, which I call the parthood view or the container view, um, are considered to be kind of opposite extreme options. And part of my research has been to consider what the various other options might be for the metaphysical relationship between fetus and maternal organism. So, for example... You might think that those two entities share parts, like the placenta or the umbilical cord, which you might think should be considered as areas where the fetus and the maternal organism overlap. The placenta and the umbilical cord kind of belong to each of those entities. Or another idea might be whether the fetus and what contains the fetus together combine to make up a third, larger entity itself could be identified as the maternal organism. And the terminology for when you combine entities to make a larger one is when they underlap. So currently, my research has been speculating over how to adjudicate between all those different options, the parthood option, the container option, whether they overlap, whether they underlap. I pose a more methodological question as to how we might even go about answering this metaphysical question about pregnancy, how we might even choose between those options and find evidence or data to support any of those options. So I'm getting kind of meta-metaphysical in my research at the moment. And how does the issue relate to the question of how many humans there are in a pregnancy and new humans coming into existence? So that's that's a really good question, and it's one that I try to be quite clear about in my work. I think that whatever we say about the relationship between the fetus and the maternal organism must be kept distinct from what we say the type of thing the fetus is. Specifically, we shouldn't assume whether the fetus has some status of being an organism or a human or a person or having some moral status as a result of how it might be related metaphysically to the maternal organism. For example, if we were to to defend what I've called the parthood view, uh, which states that the fetus is a part of the maternal organism, that position on its own does not commit you to the fetus being similar to other parts of the maternal organism, like organs, limbs, hair, or whatever. It doesn't reduce the status of that fetus that of any other part of the maternal organism because indeed it might be that the fetus is a very special part of the maternal organism and it might be that the fetus itself qualifies as a human organism or a person whilst also being a part of another human organism or a person. So 
However, you answered the question about the relationship between the fetus and the maternal organism. I think it's going to be compatible with any answer to the question as to what sort of thing you think this fetus is and therefore how many humans you think there are in a pregnancy or when it might be in the pregnancy that the fetus becomes a human. But can humans be part of other humans? Again, that's a really good question. I think I've been thinking about. So within analytic metaphysics, traditionally there are restrictions on what can be part of what and whether humans can be part of other humans. And this principle is often referred to as maximality. And maximality indeed prevents things being a part of things of the same kind. So the classic example um, is to use the kind cat. <laughs> so cats cannot be part of other cats. And this is meant to avoid counting too many cats when you might think there is only one. So rather than thinking, for example, that there is a cat on the mat and then a variation of that particular cat were it to lose a certain hair, and then another variation of that cat where it can lose another certain hair and so on, instead of counting all of these separate cats with all these slight variations, instead we should really just count one cat at that specific time. And namely, the cat that we should count is the largest candidate cat that includes all of those hairs. So the way that we can prevent counting all of these other candidate cats is by saying that they are just part of the largest cat, and therefore cannot be considered cats themselves. So in other words, employing the rule that no cat can be part of another cat, any smaller candidate cat-like entity would not therefore be considered as actual cats. Of course, this now becomes a bit problematic. It's either to think of pregnant cats or any other thing that uh, we're talking about. So it might be that when we have an example of a cat being a part of another cat in a pregnancy, analogously with pregnant humans, it might be that the fetus, if it is to be considered a human organism, will be a part of the pregnant human organism. The maximality is kind of intention then, if you think the fetus and the maternal organism are both the same type of thing, and you think one is part of the other. But therefore, it's worth bearing in mind that sometimes our question about the relationship between fetus and maternal organism relates to the question of what type of thing the fetus is by way of employing a principle like maximality, which says that you can't have things being a part of things of the same kind. But again, with my more methodological, metaphysical hat on, what I want to emphasize is, is that it could be that maximality is itself wrong and we should not be looking to such a principle for evidence for or against answers to our questions about whether fetuses are parts of maternal organisms or not. I've heard the term parasite used to describe the fetus. Is the fetus really a parasite? Yeah, I've, I've heard that uh, analogy as well. The way that a parasite depends on a host may indeed have certain similarities to the way a fetus depends on their host or their maternal organism. So I can see why there's that sort of analogy. 
whether the that's often like a parasite is at the expense of the host and whether the well-being of the fetus is at odds with the well-being of the maternal organism is sometimes discussed in the literature as a fetal maternal conflict. And I don't have a stance on this debate, um, nor have I really been investigating the dependency relation or any health conflict between the fetus and maternal organism. Rather, I think the question about the metaphysical relationship of parenthood or containment is going to be separate from the question about the dependency relationship or otherwise. And also, it's a bit of an open question at this point whether parasites are part of their host or merely contained by their host. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on Radio 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial, and I'm speaking with Dr. Suki Finn about the metaphysics of pregnancy. Now, do you, do you think that by having modern technology such as 3D ultrasounds that this strengthens the connection between mothers and fetuses? So that's a tricky question. It probably varies from mother to mother, to be honest but just from a purely speculative and academic point of view rather than one from experience, is uh, I think the way that ultrasound imaging is often stipulated as the baby's first picture often distorts the scientific fact that it's actually a fetus, not a baby. It might also diminish the special, unique connection that mothers have to fetuses by making that fetus accessible the outside world and kind of pretending that this is the way that the only way that a mother could connect with the fetus is via this ultrasound when actually they've got that connection already. So whilst it may in some sense strengthen a maternal fetal connection to some mothers, perhaps it only does so on shaky scientific and metaphysical grounds. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, back in my day when I was pregnant, we we didn't have anything like that really. I mean, the ultrasound was pretty fuzzy. You couldn't see anything. But just sort of having that connection, I think, when the the first time hicks, I mean, that's quite quite incredible, isn't it, to think it's really there because you sort of (laughs) – there's sort of no other signs apart from morning sickness, of course. (laughs) Yeah. it's sort of more of a pleasant sign that there's there's something there, and and I, I think we just you know humans sort of go so much on having eye contact and facial features as well, and being able to to see that is yeah. it's quite incredible with technology now. And do you think that legal, social, and moral language that we use to classify ourselves and our act actions need to be rewritten so that it has a compatibility with what we can accommodate the nature of pregnancy? Yeah, I do. Although I recognise that we all speak loosely sometimes, so sometimes the way we speak about pregnancy might not be completely accurate because we're just having a casual conversation, we're not in, in the lab or something. And but and often different terms are going to be more pragmatic for different purposes depending on the context of that conversation. But nevertheless, I think it's important at least to raise the awareness that 
who sometimes do use language that presupposes certain metaphysical views about pregnancy. And those views that we're presupposing can be challenged. So lurking in the background as much of our legal, social and moral language are metaphysical assumptions. And I think it's good practice, always good practice, to challenge our assumptions. How important do you think it is for us to understand the process of how we came into existence? Well, how we came into existence, uh, we do have that conversation. I guess it's a bit awkward to start from the D's one. Um, but as for understanding whether we were part of our mothers, that conversation hasn't really started to happen until more recently. And I think it is important that we're starting to have it now. If there is a truth of the matter as to whether you were once a part of your mother, then I think it's worth pursuing the answer because truth is just independently valuable and it's an interesting truth. And this particular truth, I think, could also really make a difference to how we view pregnancy, motherhood, reproductive technology, personal identity, and so on in many different domains, in legal, medical, ethical, and scientific domains, giving all of these added layers of importance to its pursuit over and above just the pursuit for truth. So, yes, I think it's important that this work is happening. I suppose there's quite a few different views on it, but my view, I'm quite scientific, and my view would be that I am connected to or actually have part of my biological parents because I contain their DNA rather than, say, for example, if I had been carried by a surrogate. I don't think I would feel any real connection towards them. Would that be a fairly common view? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've, I've heard people talk about that before. I suppose that is really giving a lot of weight to a genetic link over and above a gestational link. And I think there are other ways that we can be connected to people other than genetics. And so um, if we were to give more weight to the gestational line, then maybe that's the way we would follow parenthood as opposed to just through the genetic line. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Going to have any future study plans within this field? Yeah, so at the moment um, I'm working on reproductive technologies as surrogacy and ectogenesis, which is uh, the development of artificial womb technology. So that's where my research is going at the moment. Oh, great. Oh, well, good luck with that. And thanks very much for coming onto the program today. Thank you for having me. And I've been speaking with Dr. Suki Finn about the metaphysics of pregnancy. And do stay tuned for the wonderful Swing and Sway. 